go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Nahum chapter 2. Now, one of the things, uh, while you guys are, cha- are, are turning there, um, Nineveh, it's actually pronounced Nineveh. Um, I, I wasn't sure about that, but I actually looked it up, and yes, it actually is Nineveh, so we've been saying it wrong all these years, and uh, the Jews are probably laughing at us, but there you go. It's Nineveh, but if you want to say Nineveh, it's fine. It's all good, but I just want to throw that out there. I, I heard it on a, a Bible study the other day, and I was like, why is he calling it that? And then I looked it up, and it's like, oh, yeah, he did his homework, so... <laughs> So anyway, so last week, uh, last week we had um, just the, the introduction um, of Nahum. We had um, we had the history, the background of um, of who Nahum was, uh, the time frame of when he wrote this book, and um, really just it, it, it's it's not only a judgment against the Ninevites, but it is also a comfort of God's people. And, and that's one thing that we need to understand because when we look at the judgment of God, it can be scary, right? When you read Revelation, Heidi actually is in in her devotions right now is in the book of Revelation, and you know what she's been saying. She goes, I've been having the craziest dreams. I was like, well, yeah, you're reading Revelation right before you go to bed. Is right? Yeah, so she's been having like all these crazy dreams. And she says she's been having like nightmares and things like that. It's like, well, yeah. And because, see, the wrath of God is something that is fearsome. And it should be. Because, see, the Bible even says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. What does that mean? It is fearful because God isn't some little medallion that you can like just take with you everywhere you want, and you can't make God do what you want God to do just because you want him to do it, right? He has the standards. He is the one who sets the rules, and we are the ones who are obliged to be obedient to those rules, and if we don't, there are consequences that follow, right? Those of you who have raised children, Right, the, you know, a, a thing that we go through with our kids all the time. You know, I, I try not to get angry at my kids, but what I do tell them is like, okay, if you do this, this will be the consequence. And if you do this, this will be the consequence. And then when they do it, instead of me going, like this, all I have to do is say, all right, what did you just do? Why are you in trouble right now? And they'll say, oh, I did this. It's like, yes. What is the consequence for doing that? They'll say this. All right, well, why are you making me do this? Do you think I want to do this? And they're like, no. And then I say, how old are you? And depending on who it is, you know, I'm five. That means you get how many swats now? Five, right? Because with age comes responsibility, right? So as they get older, they get more swats, okay? It's just, that's just the way we work. So birthdays aren't a super exciting thing in our house, right? They're like, oh, no. That's one more swat. And really, in the sense, that is exactly what God has done. See, God has laid down, okay, if you sin, then these are going to be the consequences. And he even lays down his laws before nations, right? Not just individuals, not just the moral laws, but he literally tells nations, if you do this, then this will be the consequence. And I will give you time to repent because God is long suffering. We'll even see that within the judgment that we see this evening. But you know, God is long suffering, but here's what we have to know. This is what we need to understand that God will judge sin. Okay, that is something that we must understand because God wouldn't be a righteous and holy God if he didn't. If God could just, you know, like say, hey, you know what? I set up these rules, but you know what? I don't feel like following my own rules right now. Would God be a holy and righteous judge? No, 
He would be partial. He would be capricious. He would just be like any other God that you see hanging off of little medallions of people, right? Or up in window fronts or whatever, right? He wouldn't be a righteous God. He wouldn't be that. And just imagine what the universe would be like. Look how, how horrible our earth can be right now with a holy and righteous God at the throne, right? Can you imagine if there was a God who just didn't care and just like, eh, whatever, and did anything he wanted and just, and like just did horrible, wicked things just because he felt like it? Can you imagine how wicked and depraved our world would be in that? Because like right now we have a holy and righteous God on the throne and yet look how wicked men behave, right? Now, can you imagine if God himself was that same way, right? What would be the consequence of that? It would be terrifying, Okay, but God will judge sin. He must judge sin. And you know what? We should rejoice that God judges sin, right? That, that is something that we should, um, actually, when you look in Revelation, in, um, it, as every once in a while, it'll like flash up to the heavenly scene. And as the, the judgments are being poured out onto the earth, what are the people in heaven doing? What are the angels doing? They're praising God for his judgments. And guess what? That will be you and me up there. And guess who he's going to be judging? Our non-believing family, friends, things like that, who are left behind. Right? We were literally, now how could, like, how on earth could we possibly be praising God for judging the people on earth? Because it is right. It'll be righteous. It will be holy. God is fair. Right? But more than that, he's merciful and long-suffering But there comes a time when God will judge sin. Now you look at Nineveh here because we might start feeling sorry for them. We start getting into the part within this poem that it starts talking about like their corpses being laid up, like just multitudes of corpses all over the place. And we're like, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. Is that really in the Bible? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. But see, here's the thing about Nineveh. Nineveh knew the truth, didn't they? Now you say, oh, wait a second. Aren't they a pagan nation? Yes, they were, but they did have their visit from God, didn't they? By the name of a man of Jonah, right? Jonah, he, he's that guy, remember, he, he, the wayward prophet, he ran away from God because God said, go and you know, preach to the Ninevites, and he said, no, and he went to Tarshish instead. And then God you know, made the big storm, they threw him over, big fish swallowed him, and he was down in that fish for like three days, three nights, and then finally it barfed, the, after Jonah repented, the fish barfed him up, and he walked over to Nineveh and said, yes, sir, okay, I'm going, I'm going. Right? And then he goes over there, marches through, it's a three-day walk, three days, he's walking through it, first day, 40 days until destruction, Second day, 39 days till destruction. Third day, you know, and, and, and so on. And he continues on, right? And, and the people, the king of Nineveh, he was so terrified. He knew that God was speaking to him and to his people. And so what did he do? He put on sackcloth. He threw ashes on his head. He made all of his officials. He made all of the, the citizens of Nineveh. And he made all of the animals, right? That's how, that's how much this guy meant it, right? The king of Nineveh made all of his animals put on sackcloth and ashes, and they all prayed. They all repented of their sins and said, Lord, have mercy on us. And guess what happened? The Lord had mercy on him. See, God had visited Nineveh. See, the Ninevites were not without excuse. They knew in the same way that God sent prophets to Israel time and time and time again, He also sent prophets to other nations, not just to the nation of Israel, right? He sent people like Jonah to places like Nineveh. And so they knew, they heard the word of the Lord and they knew these things were true. But then guess what? After they had repented, they began slowly to take up their old ways again. They began to worship the old gods again. And then they turned their backs on the living God once again. And they became wicked and depraved. And we're going to see some of the, what God says about them uh, this evening. 
And so at that point, see, God has been long-suffering, he's been patient, he's given opportunity to repent, but finally when people's hearts are so hard towards him that they will not repent, guess what he does? He judges. He waits until their, their wickedness is at its absolute apex, at its highest point, when the fullness of their sin has come in. And this is basically, we're not talking about people who have done wrong and are kind of back and forth and maybe they'll get saved and maybe they won't. These are people who have completely turned their hearts completely against God and now is the time of judgment. Okay, so that is what we're looking on. So don't be so, too horrified as we read through this if you haven't read through it already. So let's go ahead and go through it. Like, like, like I said, this is, uh, it's called the death hymn and we're gonna be walking through it. We're, gonna, we're just gonna read verse by verse through it and we're gonna pause and give commentary uh, as we go. And um, it, it's actually very beautiful, but at the same time, the content is, it's fairly heavy. So um, let's just pray before we start and then we'll just jump right in. Lord Jesus, we do thank you so much for this, your word. Lord, we do pray that you would help, just grant us understanding. Lord, help us to understand who you are a little bit better. Help us to understand the consequences of sin a little bit better and make it a little bit more real in our lives. Lord, that we would be the kind of people, Lord, who don't uh, just play with sin, Lord, and don't think that compromise is okay, but Lord, that we would run far from it that we would run towards righteousness and holiness. Lord, that we would meditate on that which is holy and pure. And Lord, that we would cleanse our minds from evil thoughts. Lord, we love you with all of our hearts and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. The judgment on Nineveh or Nineveh. He who scatters has come up before your face. Man the fort, watch the road, strengthen your flanks, Fortify your power mightily, for the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. Right? I want to pause here for just a moment. See, what is God saying? He's revealing himself now to Nineveh one more time. And so what, how does he bring himself? Before, it was with a judgment, but then with the opportunity of repentance. Now, he comes up and says, he who scatters has come up before your face. Now, hey, guys. Any of you guys ever like talk smack against somebody, maybe like in high school, maybe in college, maybe just the other day, right? Where somebody does something and like two guys, right? And they puff up their chest and they get in each other's face, right? Ever had a situation like that? Any of you guys ever had a situation? I have, right? Where, where you're like in the guy's face and you guys are like doing this and maybe you're terrified. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're the, the aggressor. But in the end, like you're standing toe to toe. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine, um, Who's a big guy? Let's say like Shaq, just because he's really big, right? Now let's say that, that you're sitting there and you're doing your thing and you're, maybe you're like pushing on some little guy and then all of a sudden Shaq walks up to you and like just gets in your face. Now it'd be hard for him to get in your face because you're going to be like down here, right? But he just like gets right up in your face and he's angry at you. What are you going to do? Are you going to keep pushing that little guy that you were picking on before, right? Being a bully to when this big, massive guy just stands right in front of you like I'm going to pound you. Right, what are you gonna do? You're gonna be you're gonna back down. Right? And, and and God is saying, he who scatters. Now, who has God scattered in the past? Right? He's probably sp- uh, speaking of his own people. The one who allowed you to come in and, and scatter my people. The one who allowed other you know nations to come in and humble my children. He says, Well, now guess what? My eyes are turned on you, Nineveh. Assyria, here I come. He who scatters has come up before your face. So God's in their face now. 
right? And so as you've seen people, maybe they're really haughty and, you know, a lot of atheists like to do this and they like to yell at God and cuss at God and do all these things. Well, guess what? There's, see, right now, God is just kind of letting them be their thing, letting them do their thing. He's, he's being calm. He's being humble. But there's going to come a time where God is going to get in their face and say, are you ready, son? Right? He is coming up before their face. So what does he say? Man the fort, watch the road, strengthen your flanks. What kind of language is that? It's war, isn't it? He's speaking of war. He says, man the fort. He says, you get yourself ready. So he's in, he's basically, what this is, this is like courtyard or like a schoolhouse fight right now, right? Two guys and God's getting their face and he goes, you get ready, son. Here I come, right? That's scary, isn't it? Right, he's not giving an opportunity. This isn't like a Jonah thing where Jonah came and there is an opportunity for repentance. He's saying, nope, it's over. I'm coming. He says, so you man your fort, you watch the road, you strengthen your flanks. Why? He says, because now. And see, here's the part. Remember I told you guys last week how God is the, he's above all things and he's moving nations, right, in order um, to set up what he wants to set up. And remember that, who, which king is getting ready to come onto the scene? In Israel right now, at this time, King Josiah, right? He, you know, he, he's on his way, right? And God knows he's on his way. And so what is the Lord going to do? He says, the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob. When does God do that in this time? During the reign of Josiah, the king, right? God is literally shaping. He's literally taking the superpower, Assyria, its capital, Nineveh. And he's saying, listen, I am in your face now and you get ready for war because I'm coming. Why? He said, because Josiah, the king, is coming and I am going to restore the excellence and the glory of my people under his reign. Now, true, it'll only last for a short time and then his sons and grandsons are gonna go off sinning again and then God will humble them again. But nonetheless, right, God was doing a great work and he says, so you prepare yourself, Caesarea, he says, for the emptiers have emptied them out and ruined their vine branches. He says, I- I've, I've allowed you to come in and I've allowed you to empty out all of their glory, all the glory that was treasured up, right? Through King David, through Solomon, through the kings after, you know, God allowed people to come in and humble his people. He says, in verse three, he says, the shields of his mighty men are made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariots come with flaming torches in the, uh, in the day of his preparation. And the spears are brandished. The chariots rage in the streets. They jostle one another in the broad roads. They seem like torches. They run like lightning. So basically what he's saying, he's like, the, the armies are coming. Right here they come, the jostling of war. If you've ever watched old war movies and you just see like the, the massive you know, forces moving and all the noise they make, yeah, that, that's what he's describing here to the Ninevites. He says, he remembers his nobles. They stumble in their walk. This is it's speaking now of Nineveh. He says, they make haste to her walls and their defense is prepared. The gates of the rivers are opened and the palace is dissolved. Right, so, so now it's like God is now speaking to the future. This is what's going to happen. He says the, the chariots coming, the rattling of sabers, right, of spears is coming. The noise of war, that terrifying sound is going to come upon Assyria. And Assyria is going to mount the walls. They're going to get all their people there. But guess what? <laughs> he says the palace is going to be dissolved. And then verse 7, listen to this. It says, it is decreed she shall be led away captive. This is speaking of the city of Nineveh. 
She shall be brought up, and her maidservant shall lead her as with the voice of doves beating their breasts. I don't know if you guys have, you guys have doves where you guys live. Anybody ever startled a dove? Have you ever seen it when they fly away? Have you ever heard them? Do you notice they don't just fly? They don't just go. What do they do when a dove is startled and flies away? Its wings strike, its, and they actually hit their own breast, so you can hear the slapping sound as, as they do this. And every time they do it, you hear this little, feet, 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 like that, as the dove is flying away. And, and the picture that God is giving is that as Nineveh is going to be conquered, that the women of Nineveh are going to be walking, they're going to go be th- going through the streets, striking their breasts, crying out, right, because of what they have just gone through. Right, that is the picture that that he is giving now. He says that the the maidservants shall lead her as with the voice of doves beating their breasts. They're going to be the the women are going to be crying out in the streets. It's not the men who are going to be leading the procession because probably most of them will be destroyed, but the women are going to be leading the procession out of the city and they're going to be beating their breasts, wailing and crying. That is what is coming to Nineveh. He says, though Nineveh of old was like a pool of water, now they flee away. Halt, halt, they cry, but no one turns back, right? The, the, the people, the warriors, the soldiers of Nineveh, they're going to flee before the Babylonian army, before the, the Medo-Persian empire as they join forces and come against Nineveh. The, the, the men, they're going to be running, but nobody will turn back. And then the Lord says to those armies, he says, take spoil of silver, take spoil of gold. There is no end of treasure or wealth of every desirable prize. Now, listen to the the condition of those who have hardened their hearts against God. She is empty, desolate, and waste. Right? See, See, sin is pleasurable for a time, isn't it? Right, those of you who didn't grow up in the church and don't have the best testimony of I've always known the Lord. And and sometimes we can feel shamed, right, on a testimony like that. It's like, oh, I don't have a testimony. Mine's so boring. It's like that guy, he was a drug dealer and he like killed people and then he gave his heart to the Lord. Now he's like, it's radical. That's awesome. I want a testimony like that. No, you don't. No, you don't. I wish I could change my testimony. Right? I'm stoked that my kids, I, I, I'm so blessed that Trinity only knew from the tree of life and not of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? That is a blessing. Right? That is a blessing. Right? But she is empty. She is desolate. And she is waste. And see, that's the aftermath of sin. That's the aftermath of compromise. Right, this is the effect. See, it's fun for a time. Whoopee, woohoo! Right, Nineveh had its glory day. Right, the 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 kingdom of Assyria. They had their time. They had their fun. They had their gods and and, you know their sexual rights on how they worship their gods. But you know, in the end, after God gets through with them, after God gets in their face, how are they going to be left? Their final state is going to be emptiness, desolation, and waste. How many of you guys know people that are in that condition right now? You look at them and you look in their eyes and they used to be vibrant. They used to be alive. But now when you look inside, you just see emptiness. It's like blank, right? Their soul is desolate. Their conscience is laid waste. There's nothing left. They're hardly human. They're a husk of what they used to be. You guys know people like that, don't you? I do. That was me. Right, that was me. I sit there, I read this, and I was empty, I was desolate, and I was waste. I used to imagine myself, I used to test myself because I called it the emptiness. I had the emptiness in my heart, and I named it that. I said, yeah, I've got the emptiness. And I I literally considered myself to be like a zombie. 
Like I was the living dead. I knew I was dead inside. And I used to try to test myself. Sorry, mom. But I, I used to imagine my parents being like murdered to see if I would care. And I didn't. And it was scary to me, but I didn't care. I imagined myself being, you know, like dying and things like that to see if I would care. And I didn't. Right? I was empty inside. I was desolate. I was waste. And that is what sin does in our life. That is the final state of those who turn their hearts against God. And then the, the other aspect of it, listen to this. It says the heart melts and the knees shake. Right? I, I don't know about you guys, but it's like, the, I, I don't know. I, I had this a, a guilty conscience always. Everywhere I went, I was just like, you know, every time somebody would say, oh, something happened, I'd be like, they think it's me, they think it's me. And I'd get all wigged out, even though it wasn't me. I knew it wasn't me. But like, I had like this guilty conscience. And the Bible calls that, that, that the wicked have a, they have a conscience that judgment is coming. Right? That, that is the only hope that they have. They know that judgment is coming, and so there is no peace. And though people in our day, if, if, as they worship other gods and they do all these things, whether it be the god of atheism or whether it be uh, you know, other gods, you know, in, in the end, what are they looking for? They're looking for peace. But there is no peace because their, their soul is at war against God, and so there is no peace. And so their hearts melt and their knees shake. Right? There's a fearful understanding that judgment is coming. And then it says, much pain is in every side, and all their faces are drained of color. Right? Sin brings pain, doesn't it, Joshua? Have you ever heard Joshua's testimony? Right? It brings pain, doesn't it? Right? That life, when you walk down that road, it brings pain. Right? And we see our kids, and we tell our kids, don't do that. Don't do that. I've walked down that road. I know where it goes, and it's a dead end. And they're like, no, I don't care. I'm going to do it. And you just sit there and you just scratch your head and you weep for them. You go like, no, I know where that road goes. And it is pain on every side. And you watch them destroy their lives. And there's nothing you can do. You sit there and you pray for them. and, And you keep on loving them. And you're there for them. Hopefully when they finally hit the bottom, maybe they'll bounce. Right? And start moving back up a little bit. And we want to be there for them in that time. But, you know, in the end, it's like, there's no life there right there's no life and if you've ever seen uh, somebody after they've passed away all the blood you know like you see their skin like right now our skin there's blood in our skin that's why it looks alive and fresh but when somebody passes away all the blood drains from their face and it looks more like plastic it doesn't look like skin and that's what he's talking here he says there's pain on every side and their face is drained of color verse 11 says where is the dwelling of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions, where the lion walked, and the lioness and the lion's cubs, and no one made them afraid. Where is that now? The lion tore in pieces enough for his cubs, killed for his lionesses, filled his calves with prey, and his dens with flesh. Now, this isn't speaking of literal lions, because it's actually the lionesses who do the hunting. Who's he speaking of here? He's speaking of the king of Assyria. He's right. That's who he's speaking of. These lions are not literal lions. He's speaking of men. He says, you have done all these things. He says, but where is that now? Right? After the army comes, after the Lord's judgment comes, he says, where will your feeding be now? He says, where will, where, where will your cubs and, and your lionesses? He goes, you know, where will their provision be? And it will be gone. And listen to verse 13. And in case you didn't know it, because you know, a lot of people like to say, you know, everybody's a child of God. 
but I want you to read this. Verse 13, read it with me. It says, Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. Read it out loud with me real quick. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. Right? That is a truth that we must understand. When people harden their hearts towards God, when they will not listen, when they will not obey, when they will not yield, and they continue in their sin, and, and they just like, they hate God and they go against him. Guess what? God is against them. Right? God is against them. And you know, we don't know when, but there's a time when they cross that line and there is no more repentance. Their heart is so hard that they will not repent. Right? God will judge. And this is what he's saying to, to Assyria. He says, Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. And no wonder. Right? The, God, the, the way they worship their gods was reprobate. You know, they, they like to burn their children as sacrifices to their gods. Much like today in India, women, you know, if they're, if they're like really poor, what they'll do, oftentimes they'll take their babies and they'll sacrifice them to the river god, hoping that the river god will bless them. Right? That happens today. Right? And these are things, you know, that, that these people would do, you know, when they conquered, when they'd go out and, you know, have their raids on, on villages and, and kingdoms and things like that, they, they brutalized uh, the people that they conquered. You know, they put fish hooks through their noses and through their jaws and dragged them away. Right? They, they were a violent and vile people. And he says, Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will burn your chariots in smoke, and sword, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall be heard no more. All right, see, that is the end of the wicked. Right, for, for those who turn against God, and any nation that would turn against God and call what is evil good and call what is good evil, right, this is the end. Emptiness pain, desolation, and God will be against us, and he will cut us off. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. Right, so, so here's an aspect. Here's one of the things that God is judging. He says, Woe to the bloody city. Bloody city. Wow, okay, so violence, right? The, the murder of their children, right? That, like I said, that was a common thing. You know, one of the things, it was a pagan practice of worship, and what they would do, they would take their firstborn child, right? So as they're building their house, they would, they would like, have a, a child, and what they would do, they, they would have that child, and they would literally put it inside. So like, you open up these walls, and you'd put the baby inside alive, and then you'd close it up inside the wall, and it was your sacrifice to your house, Right, that that the that there would be a blessing upon your house. You would sacrifice your child to your house. Right, they did that. They did that in cities as well. That they would go and as they're building like the wall, they would literally put children inside the walls, in order to like like it was like just it was the sacrifice to their gods to bless their gods, and, and obviously they killed lots of children because the worship of their gods was sexual rights, and so there would be lots of unwanted children. So what do they do with those unwanted children? Well, they sacrifice them to their gods. Right, because it is a bloody city, and so God pronounces a woe upon them, a curse upon them. He says, it is full of lies and robbery. There is no morality. There is no ethic. He says, it's victim never departs. People taking advantage of people. So he says, the noise of the whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. 
right? He's talking about the army that's coming. So he, he, he says, woe to the things that he is judging. But now he says, now it's like he brings the attention. This is why it's coming. This is why the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. Verse 3, it says, horsemen's charge with bright sword and glittering spear. Right, there is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses. Right, so what this is, this is the darkness. God is, is shining light on the, the evil, and he is sending his cavalry to come and extinguish that evil. Right, it is a cancer. It is a festering sore. It, 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 is, it is just vile. And so what is he doing? He's bringing something to destroy that evil. In verse 4, it says, because of the multitude of harlotries of the, of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorcery who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries, behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. Sound familiar? We just read that, didn't we? Behold, I am against you. Why? Because of her sorceries. What are the sorceries? Now, when you go into the Greek, you look forward. The Greek word for sorceries is pharmakia, talking about drug use and all that. The Hebrew word is not like that. Okay, it's literally just sorceries. This is witchcraft, right? The, the, the worship, the, the, the drawing near, and if you don't know what witchcraft is, you know, you see like on TV all the times, don't be fooled. There's no such thing as a white witch, right? Oh, they got white witches and black witches, and they got good warlocks and bad warlocks, and you, you watch The Princess and the Frog if you've got uh, kids, and there's like the good voodoo lady, and then there's the bad shadow man voodoo guy. Guess what? Who's the more dangerous? The guy who you know is the evil man or the woman who pretends to be good and yet has dead human parts in her, uh, in her little shop. She's the more dangerous to our children. Absolutely. Right, because the multitude of her harlotries, of the seductive harlot, right, they draw people in. There, there's uh, right down the street here, right, there's a, there's a, a psychic place, right? Our, our kids, when they go do Delta Force, oftentimes they'll go stand in front of it and pray against it. Did you know that? Right, but they do that. But what do they do? They seduce people in. You've seen the, the, um, the, the psychic hotlines? It's the best reading you'll ever get or your money back. Right, but what do they do? They draw people in and they take advantage of them. And there's two ways psychics work and mediums work. One is, and the most common way, is they are super con artists. They, they, they know how to draw information out of you. And when they see the response, then they keep going down that path. Right, and they draw you in and suck you in. And the only other way that they work, and this does happen sometimes, is they have demonic hosts around them, demons. And the demons are feeding them information. Right, that is a reality. And they draw people in. Right, as a seductress draws in people. Right, that's what they do. And so he says, behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. Who are the demons? Are they friendly? Are they on good terms with God? No. No, absolutely not. And those who lie in bed with the demon is the enemy of God. Right? So don't go get your fortunes told. He says, I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. Ooh, that sound, that's kind of a, a very, like, wow. I actually heard a debate once between, I think it was Donahue and some uh, Muslim guy. And the Muslim guy was quoting this. And Donahue just kept going like, that's immoral, that's immoral, what are you talking about lifting the skirts over? And he didn't understand what, what he was talking about. Right? But in the end, what's he saying? I'm going to, you now you think about 
what your skirts cover. They cover the parts that are supposed to be modest, supposed to be covered. What, the context here is that their abominations, the wickedness, their depravity, God is going to lift up and let all the world see their wickedness. Right, All of their abominations, all of their harlotries, all of their sorceries. He says, so I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you and make you vile and make you a spectacle. Right, That is the end of the wicked. Right, so when people try to tempt you, when the devil says, hey, you know what, you don't want anything to do with God, come down this road, it's better, it's great, it's fun, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a riot, just remember, remember the end of the wicked, this is the end of the wicked. Verse 7 says, and it shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste, right, in the end. When you see God's judgment coming upon somebody who has completely rejected God in their life, um, one of my, uh, it's just one of the most vivid uh, images for me is Voltaire. I talk about him all the time, right? Because on his deathbed, he was there, even though he was an atheist, he, he said, he claimed he didn't believe in God, yet on his deathbed, who was he talking to? God. And he was calling out, striking out at him, saying, you know, just like cussing and, and cursing God and saying, I, you know, I, I stab at you with my last life breath. And he was just like yelling at God. And then finally he died and his nurse said, I will never be the nurse for an atheist ever again in my life. Right? This is it. All who look upon you will flee from you and say, they are laid waste. Right? When you see when God judges someone, right? When you see that life that has been shattered and brought down because of their drug use and just like the utter end of where that has gone, right? When you see them, you know, twitching under the, 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 the overpass and talking to themselves and cursing and sometimes demon possessed, right? And you see it and you just go like, oh my goodness. Like, wow. And oftentimes you take your kids and you go, oh, okay, honey, stay over here. Right? And you put yourself between them and that person. In the end, he says, they will flee from you and say they are laid waste. But then he asks, and who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? And, and that's the thing. When you have somebody who is so full of hate towards God, they're not really all that nice to be around, are they? Right? It's all about themselves and they, like, they want everything for themselves. And it's like, you know what? It's really hard to find people to, to like, really like, mourn for them. He's kind of like, oh, wow, right? So he's like, where shall I see comforters for you? There aren't any, right? When, when Nineveh is destroyed, nobody's going to mourn. They're all going to be like, good riddance, right? Because she was so harsh to the nations around her. And then he asks a question to Nineveh. He says, are you better than no Ammon? And Ammon, it, it, that's, uh, that's another name for the ancient um, city of Thebes. Remember I told you in Thebes, like the destruction of Thebes, that's this. He says, uh, that, that was in 663 BC, and Assyria was the one who, who conquered them. He says, are you better than they are? He says, you conquered them. He says, but are you better than they are? That, that they were situated by the river and had the waters around her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea? He says, are you better than they? Now listen, you went in there and you marched in and you conquered Egypt. But, you know, are you better than they? Do you think that you are stronger, more fortified um, than they are when I come against you? Right? Do you really think that you will be able to withstand me? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless. Put and Lubim 
were your helpers, yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces. This is what uh, Assyria did to them. At the head of every street, they cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. He says, you also will be drunk. You will be hidden. And you also will seek refuge from the enemy. Right? You are going to be seeking shelter. You are going to be running away. You are going to be looking for some place to hide. And then he says in verse 12, All your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Think about that. Right? Think about all the strongholds of the kingdom of Assyria, all these mighty cities, reinforced walls. And he says, you know what? He says, you think you are in control. You think you are established. You think you are a power. He says, but you are ripe figs. And all it's going to take is a little bit of shaking. He says, and all of your strongholds will fall into the mouth of your enemies and they will be devoured. Speaking, it's very poetic of the armies that are going to be coming and swallowing up Assyria. He says, surely your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour, devour the bars of your gates. Draw your water for the siege. Again, this is kind of like going back to the beginning of the chapter. He says, I'm in your face. Get yourself ready. Make the ramparts ready. He says, draw water for the siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. Right? Get those fires stoked, man. Start making your bricks. Reinforce your walls. Get ready is what God is saying to them. Right? Get ready because they are coming. He says... There the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like locusts. Now, what do locusts do when they go through, like when they're swarming? They eat everything in their path, right? He says the sword is going to be like locusts, and it's going to devour your people. Make yourself many like the locusts. Now, he's talking about them. Make yourself many like the swarming locust. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. Now here again, their greed is one of the things that God is commenting against. For the love of money is the root of what? All kinds of evil. He says, you have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. Gosh, isn't Nineveh sounding more and more like the United States the farther we go in this? Like, oh my goodness. Like, guys, we need to repent. We need to not be so driven about money and the possessions we possess. And, and you know, like think, think about like the, you know, the, the blood in our own streets. There's Planned Parenthoods all over the place. The latest thing on Planned Parenthood is what they're really petitioning for now is they want the right to be able, if, if a baby is born alive, they want the right to be able to murder the baby. That's what they're, they're actually petitioning. They have lobbyists at our government right now trying to get that. They want that right to say, no, no, it's the discretion of the parent and the doctor. They just, because why? Because if they have a botched abortion, they don't get paid. Right, so they want the right, when a baby is born alive, they want to be able to murder the baby. Right? And, you know, our, our whole society is driven by, um, by our merchants. But he says, the, the, the locust plunders and flies away. And now he's giving an example, like in the same way that the sword is like the locust and it's going to devour. But he's going to say now that your commanders, your armies are also going to be like the locust, but in a different way. He says, the locust plunders and flies away. Your commanders are like swarming locusts and your generals like great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges on the cold day. But when the sun rises, they flee away and the place where they are is not known. So he's saying, hey, you know what? Your commanders, they're all strong right now and everything's good. But as soon as the little heat comes up, when my army comes against you, guess what's going to happen? They're going to go and they're going to fly away and you won't know where they are. 
He says, and they will not be known. He says in verse 18, your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains and no one gathers them. And then look, this is, this is the final exhortation to, to the wicked, to those who are against God. He says, your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? You think, oh, we would never do that. We would never do that. When Osama bin Laden was killed and you heard about it, were you a little bit happy? Some of you guys might have even gone like, praise God. Thank you, Lord. That's what he's saying. The end of the wicked. There will come a day when all those who have turned their hearts against God and refuse the grace of God, because God does not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is his will. But there are some, Jesus said, I wanted to gather you, but there are people who will not. And there will come a day when they will stand before the great white throne judgment. They will be cast into Gehenna and all of the people of heaven will rejoice and say, thank you, God, for being righteous. Thank you, God, for being righteous. And thus ends the death hymn. Pretty crazy, huh? But in the end, this is a reality. God is against the wicked. Now, he loves those people. He desires to save them. But in the end, if they will not be saved, if they refuse to be saved, then guess what? He is against them and he will bring them to nothing. And no one will mourn their passing. That is the reality. Guys, is there any room? Is there any room in our lives for compromise? Is there any room in our lives as the people of God to accept sin, to wink at sin, to like, oh, it's okay. No, flee from it. Flee from it. Throw on the sackcloth, throw on the ashes like Nineveh in the old days, in the days of Jonah, right? God saved them. God said, hey, you know, there's, there's like 100,000 kids who don't know their left hand from the right. He goes, I have to care about them, right? And there was a day when they turned, right? God spared the city because they turned. And you know what? God will spare the United States if we turn, right? There, there's a lot of kids in the United States who don't know their left hand from the right. And you know what? God is not willing to destroy even if there is one righteous Even if there is one righteous, he will not destroy. And you know what? We better not try to look like the world. We better not try to fit in. We need to be the righteous. We we, we want God to go like, oh yeah, there's a couple righteous right there. We don't want them to have to like take out the magnifying glass and go, are they righteous? Right, if the world thinks you look like the world, then maybe God thinks you look like the world too. Guys, God is against them. Know that. And then it's kind of a comfort too, because back at the beginning of chapter two, why is he doing all this to the wicked? For the Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. Right? God wants to protect you and me. He wants to lift us up and exalt us. But you know what? We, we need to be glorifying him as he does it. Amen? Let's praise him. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are a righteous judge. Father, we thank you that that you don't just wink at sin and you don't allow it. But Lord, you are holy and you desire holy children. So Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk in your ways, Lord, that we would have a reverent fear of you and your judgment, Lord, that we would never desire to walk down that road. For there have been many people, Lord, who for the love of wealth and riches have thrust themselves through with many sorrows. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
So Lord, help us to walk in purity and righteousness and justice. Help us to lay down our lives for others and not be concerned about ourselves. Lord, help us to bless and not curse. Help us to give life and not death. Lord, we love you with all of our hearts. We lay ourselves bare before you and say, Lord, take all, take it all. We give it freely, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And we declare that you are the righteous judge. Thank you, Lord. Amen.